Welcome to Take 750 of Episode 2 of the Marshall Street Podcast, where two washed-up Q's alumni cut into all things Syracuse sports. Before we get started, don't forget to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. We're everywhere. Leave us a five-star question and follow us on Twitter at MarshallSTPod44. I'm Jake. That's Keith. Keith, how are you doing today? As Stefan Gilmore is on the injury report for the Patriots, I hate everything. Irrelevant. I'll just start by <laughs> saying this. Uh, better showing for Keith's football against Clemson, even in loss, but still a positive, I guess. And uh, for those who heard the intro, it is one of many tries to record here. So I think we're both on Air Orange X Wi-Fi right now. If you know, you know. <laughs> oh, my God. I haven't thought about that in so long. Air Orange X was brutal. But here we are. Here we are. So we're going to talk about uh, last Saturday was against number one Clemson. Uh, SU lost 47-21. They covered the 46.5 point spread. Um, it was actually a one-score game without a minute to go in the third quarter. So really it was a game for three quarters before um, Rex Culpepper was strip-sacked and Clemson ran it back for a touchdown. And that kind of led to the onslaught, not really even an onslaught, just kind of the rush of Clemson being – Using their superior talent just to kind of beat us. And I, I Keith and I aren't very big on moral victories, but I feel like this has been a moral victory, especially for the defense um, after the Duke and uh, Liberty games. Yeah, we were saying earlier, I think I, I remarked to you that I think this is the best 47-point showing a defense <laughs> has showed me <laughs> that I can remember. Um, really put in some tough spots, but, but hung tough, especially the, the secondary played well in terms of Garrett Williams was awesome. Ify Melifonwu was great as well. And even missing Andre Sisko, they've managed to, to play super, super well. And, uh, in the midst of a bunch of injuries to, uh, Cornelius Nunn being the latest, unfortunately, but no good look for the defense. And I think the offense has been continuously, pedestrian outside of some some big plays the 80 yard bomb from uh, Rexton Ikeem Johnson was uh really the high point but other than that solid showing from the defense and we hope the offense can kind of get up to speed here whether that's with Rex under center or maybe one of the freshmen uh the defense allowed 455 yards to Clemson and only 150 in the second half which is impressive seeing as it was a six-point game with a minute to go in the third quarter uh, plus a block punt, um, so the defense much improved this week against Clemson than in the past couple weeks. Um, two big guys who stand out, two cornerbacks. Um, Garrett Williams, who had the first pick six against Trevor Lawrence in his college career. I think that's what got it to a one-score game, if I'm remembering it correctly. He also had eight tackles and two pass breakups, adding to his total of 34 on the year. Uh, and Ifitu Milanfanu had six tackles and two pass breakups. And I believe, according to Pro Football Focus College, that the two of them are leading the country in most targets without a TD allowed. Garrett Williams is 38, and Ifatu Melanfanu has 33. And for a Syracuse defense that struggled, that's pretty impressive. It really is. And that's one of those that you can file under stats that you thought were hacked tweets <laughs> but no it, it is uh it is really impressive and for all the streakiness of the Syracuse defense the offense has really been more of an issue this season in my opinion but uh 
even with the streakiness of that defense, the secondary has been a, a big break spot this year, particularly Williams. You kind of knew what you had in, in Ifatu Melfonwu coming into the year. A guy with uh, a brother who's played in the NFL and won a Super Bowl and kind of has all the the charted numbers and you know height and all of those things. Uh, Garrett Williams, a little less expected for him to come out as a, as a young guy and make all these plays. So exciting to see, and hopefully that continues moving forward into Wake this week. Yeah, absolutely. Don't forget about Trill Williams, who didn't play against Clemson. That guy, is, he's ranked pretty high in some national statistics. Um, so realistically, this this co- defense could have four cornerbacks uh, going to play on Sundays at some point between Garrett, Millen, Fonwu, Trill, and Cisco, who's hurt. But yeah. another def- safety, another def- but yeah, still secondary. Sorry, four guys from the secondary. <laughs> My bad. Um, also stand out, Mikel Jones, seven tackles and forced a fumble. Uh, he's got 44 tackles on the year and three picks. So another standout on defense. Um, offensively, Keith kind of recognized it was still very pedestrian showing, minus that 83-yard touchdown. You take away that 83-yard touchdown um, from Rex to Nikeem, which I think was more on Nikeem just burning the guy that was on him. Um Rex had under would have had under 100 yards passing. Uh, he finished with 10 of 26 for 175, a touchdown and three picks. Uh, Quigley was the leading receiver with five catches and 58 yards, which I, I like that because it showed him kind of starting to take on more of a role and more responsibility, even with um, with um, Taj Harris out. I think the offense was interesting for this Clemson game you would wonder if they come out with a different game plan Q seems to always have something up their sleeve against Clemson going back to I guess Dino's arrival really they had the one year where they got blown out but you would wonder what they would come out with and there's a lot of talking about the freshman QBs whether you get some of them in I think there was a general consensus that the Clemson game is not exactly the time to bring those guys in <laughs> especially all the, the NFL athletes they have on both sides of the ball. So, yeah, you, you could – I don't want to say cherry-picking, but you could take out the biggest play out of any QB and their numbers would go down. But less than 100 yards is, is pretty tough <laughs> um, for, from your signal caller there. So it's exciting to see Jacoby and Morgan get some snaps. I think there's a fine line between wanting to win games and doing what you can to put the best guy out there, but also building for the future. And I think especially now with, with Tommy's injury that, that leaves a lot to be determined going forward before who I think will be the next long-term starter in Justin Lampson steps on campus. I think there's a little gap there that you want to see whether it's Jacoby and Morgan, Dylan Markowitz, or even David Summers, the redshirt freshman who can step in and make some plays. So overall, I, I'd love to see more out of this offense. I know Dino has – has been an offensive coach and and new OC in Sterling Gilbert, but not the best of starts for this offense in year one under his watch. And hopefully that improves here as we finish out the rest of the year and and springboard into 2021. There was, um, you bring up the quarterbacks. There was a tweet I saw and it was from uh, Nico Tamurian from um, CNY central. He tweeted out, the common denominator, he said, that if there's one common denominator in the struggles of Syracuse football, starting quarterback injuries. So this is going back to 2013. 2013, there were no injuries. 2014, 
Hunt and Long both got hurt. 15, Hunt and Dungey got, both got hurt because we had Zach Mahoney for a few games. Dungey got hurt in 16, 17. 2018 was fine, but Dungey did get hurt against Notre Dame. He didn't play. Tommy came in and we got smoked. And then 19 was DeVito didn't play the last game. And this year, Tommy gets hurt. So that's a, I didn't even think about that. That's a good tweet from Nico that, I think another issue is just quarterbacks can't stay healthy, and that might be an indictment on the offensive line a little bit. I mean, Eric Dungy is one thing because he's a guy who's, if there's nothing going to play and he decides, I'm going to run, I'm going to try and run somebody over, he's gonna, he's a quarterback who's taking, who, can, who takes hits and for the most part can kind of weather them. But I, I don't know if that's the best look on the Syracuse offensive line in the past eight years, seven years, whatever it was. Yeah, offensive line, uh, luck, training yeah. staff. You could put it pin it on a lot. Um, that's that's super interesting, and I found it interesting too. The one year you mentioned that we did have the QB depth with Devito waiting in the wings behind Dungey was that 2018 season when one went 10 and three, won the Camping World Bowl, and even for non-injury reasons, Devito comes in against UNC and leads a, a big comeback in double OT yeah. for the win. So it's just funny how. Not to say that that's the lone issue behind SU's lack of relative success recently, it's, but it certainly doesn't help. And I think hopefully going forward, even if you have your guy, whether that's Tommy or Jacoby Morgan or Justin Lamson, whoever the case may be, I think if you have some some capable backups behind them, that's going to be a big boost. Uh, but that's uh, super interesting, and, and it does make sense the more you think about it. Even with Terrell Hunt going down, Dungy's freshman year, which happened in the first series, he was out there in the first game of the season. So, yeah, that, pretty interesting. against Rhode Island. <laughs> yeah. Um, what else on offense? Uh, no Taj Harris. Again, he was most likely suspended for the middle finger incident against Liberty. Uh, Dino said in his pre-wake press that he was, quote, in good spirits, so it looks like he's going to play this week against Wake Forest. Um, Sean Tucker had 63 yards on 10 carries and a touchdown. He got hurt, and there's not really an update. Even today's Thursday, there's still no update on whether or not he plays Saturday. At this point, I don't think so, but that's just uh, me guessing. Um Travis Etienne, Syracuse actually did a good job containing him, even though he was a little banged up. 86 yards did not break the ACC rushing record. Tucker actually had more yards at halftime than Etienne. And SU as a whole outrushed Clemson 150 to 147. So there were positives to take away. And I, I think I got excited when we got to one score in that third quarter. So it was fun to watch. It was entertaining. Um, even though we lost by 25, I think there were definitely positives to take away moving forward. No doubt about it. It was interesting to hear Dino say in the press conference about the young guys. And I know he said in the past, the best thing about freshmen is that they turn into sophomores and the best thing about sophomores, is they turn into juniors. So even with those young guys out there, a lot of them, Robert Hanna, who almost had the the fumble against Liberty that went out of bounds and different guys dropping passes on the offensive side. So, you make little plays like that, and they, they add up in a big way, especially in a situation where you need a big momentum swing against a team like Clemson. So mm-hmm. certainly positives to take away, and 
we'll we'll get into Wake Forest a little bit here soon. But like I said, it's been a wild ride in the Dino era against Clemson each and every game. Either a massive blowout, which I think only happened once. Correct me if I'm wrong there. And then every other game has been pretty close, if not the one SU win in 2017. So I don't know what it is about Dabo and Dino and and maybe Dino quote unquote has his number about as well as you can have Dabo's <laughs> number with a bunch of five stars all over the field, but it's never dull when the two no. teams get together. So there are I'm looking at this there are a couple outliers. There was in 16 we lost 50, 54 nothing. Um and then we lost the first time we played them as ACC opponents. We lost 49-14 at the Dome. So, But other than those two, like, even last year when we lost 41-6, that game, I feel like even in the third quarter, Clemson was, like, basically begging us, like, here, Syracuse, please stay in the game kind of thing. So that score I don't think is just But, yeah, it's bizarre how we always play Clemson pretty well. Um, there was a meme I retweeted where it was SpongeBob all nice and, like, proper. It's – and like wussy kind of like it's when Syracuse plays an FCS team. Then it was the episode where he's in the boxing ring, all Jack and it's Syracuse when they play Clemson. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, no, I don't disagree with that entirely. Pretty legit. I, yeah. Um, Keith, you have anything else to add on to recapping Clemson before we jump to wake? Uh, not too much. I think that's about it. You, you hit it on the head. The the one big, I don't want to say controversy, was the fourth down decision by Dino. If you want to cap things off by getting into that a little bit, I know he talked about it in his presser, but Syracuse is on the their own 40 or so yard line, if I remember correctly. Take a timeout on, on fourth and short, decide to punt. It was a great punt, went all the way to the goal line, uh, about the two-yard line, and I don't personally have a dis- uh, problem with the decision to punt. I do think it was a little odd to take the timeout first and then decide to punt, especially without trying to get the hard count, at least. Just seemed like a weird move, but the punt worked out. We got the ball back, so not a huge deal, but I know that was kind of a point of contention in that presser afterwards. Yeah, the main thing for me, I think I agree, I actually agree with you, is – if, if we're going to take the timeout, that's one thing. Uh, why not just try the hard count kind of thing? Um, but then again, I think Dino even said it. Like, if we go for it there and get stuffed at our own 40, what's the what are the questions? And then Clemson goes down and scores. Like, it's a one-score game at that point, don't forget. And we got the ball back. So, I mean, it ended up being moot po- a moot point anyway. But um, the, I think the biggest complaint for me would be, like, why are we taking a timeout there when it didn't really seem necessary if we weren't going to hard count? So, I think it was more of, like, just – people were frustrated kind of thing that they kind of projected that. Um, I would agree. And I would say too, that the one thing, even though that may have been the right decision, the general timeout management this season has been really weird. I don't know if you've thought the same thing. Yeah. There's been some situations like that. I think even like the it's, it's surrounding the fourth down stuff too. Like we'll, get it to fourth and short, haul ass to the line, and then run a quarterback sneak and get stuff kind of thing. I feel like if we're going to go for it, I feel like that's fine, but let's be a little more kind of creative instead of just like when we have trouble running up the middle anyway, why not a little jet sweep to the outside kind of thing on fourth down instead of always just like follow, go straight ahead kind of thing. I think that's a little predictable, but um, no, I, I, see what, yeah. I see what you mean. Those situations are funny because they almost remind me of the 
the meme online where it's just like give so and so the ball. When it when we had fourth and one before, it was like give Eric Dungy the ball and just let him get two yards and we're good. <laughs> and it was like an eighty percent conversion rate. I'm just making that number off the top of my head, but that's what <laughs> it feel felt like. Now with Tommy, it's almost like they have the exact same playbook and not even Tommy, but Rex. And it's just funny to to see that same mentality keep going when it's a completely different QB. But hey, they're ACC coaches and I'm not, so I'm not gonna question it too much but just also interesting got, the, the different mindsets of of the coaching staff on those types of plays you also got to look at the different players the different type of players there too like i think i said it earlier like eric dungy was the kind of guy who if you got in his way he was going to try to either jump over you and kick you in the face like he did against miami or just run through you and i don't think tommy or rex are that kind of those kind of guys but um but yeah that's a conversation for another day um let's move on to wake forest so Cuse heads back home to take on the Wake Forest Demon Deacons on Halloween at noon on the ACC Network. Uh, Syracuse opened up as a 10.5-point dog. That opened to that moved up to 11.5 as of right now. Uh, last meeting was last year, the last game of the year for Syracuse. We won 39-30 in overtime. That was, of course, the Trill Williams strip and score to win the game on Wake Forest's overtime possession. The Deeks come in at 3-2. and two. Uh, two and two in the ACC off an upset win against Virginia Tech last week, 23 to 16. Uh, Keith, what are your initial thoughts on the Demon Deacons? Because I, f- I know people like, I, to me, they look just kind of like a middle of the road ACC team, but I think they're actually pretty good. I'll start with this. So their mascot is very interesting. <laughs> and it does remind me of another mascot in P5, which is Purdue Pete. Oh, and Purdue no. Pete has been arrested this week. Purdue for... Pete had himself a rough weekend. <laughs> Purdue Pete did, in fact, have himself a rough weekend, the guy who plays it. So uh, was arrested for uh, DUI and, and a bunch of other things. Uh, hopefully he, not in costume. He does but... look like Purdue Pete now that you... He does look like, like uh, Wake's mascot now that you say that. It's like a young version yeah. of the Demon Deacon almost. Just like the black and the gold... But in any case, uh, getting back to football here, <laughs> I think Wake is, is the middle of the road to good ACC team. Certainly above us this season, to say the least. Hung pretty itself with Clemson. Uh, the NC State loss was really close. And then uh, a couple of good wins in there. Hartman is interesting to me because he doesn't have any crazy eye-popping numbers, but he takes care of the football. He's got... Not too many touchdowns, but no picks is pretty darn impressive at this state of the season. And then uh, some different athletes around the field, notably Carlos Basham on the Dean line, who Dino is really hyping up this week. And, and I know CBS Sports has the guys uh, a first-round draft pick to the Ravens in their latest mock. So a guy who can really wreak havoc if this SU line doesn't come to play, even if it does come to play. I mean, he's that good, so... All things to watch. I think it'll be a, a tight one, but given the spread and, and how these teams have been playing, I think Wake is rightfully favored in this one and hope SU can prove me wrong here. Yeah, I agree with that. I think there's a reason Wake's favored. Um, you mentioned Carlos Basham. Dino said he was probably better than anyone Clemson had, which I thought was pretty impressive seeing as, you know, we know how all the NFL ta- talent that they have. Um, he also said he was like Godzilla compared to the rest of the line being dinosaurs, which is kind of a wild statement, but I, I mean, I get it. It makes sense. 
Um, I wonder if the Syracuse fan comment section had an issue with some more uh, metaphors. We'll oh, get into yeah, that a little did. later, but you, you 100% know there were some guys saying Dino should be fired for saying something stupid like that. Like, I, <laughs> I, I just, it's not even, he didn't even say something stupid. Like, I actually got what he meant to say. It's just, but somebody for sure, like, was got upset about that. I'll give but. the message board commenters a little more, more praise. There's just a few outliers, you know, that, that always have a wild take, but that's what makes it fun. Yes, that's exactly it's, it's like Twitter, but Twitter's not fun. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah um have you heard anything about the db nick anderson from wake forest yeah he's the freshman walk-on right that's been tearing it up yeah he had so wake had three picks last week against virginia tech and he had all three of them freshman true freshman walk-on he had 11 tackles and they carried him off the field at the end after the th- after the game winning pick like, that's a great story. He's also going to get a scholarship for next year, which I thought was great. Um, and it's not like he's doing this as like, oh, he's a se- he was a walk on his freshman year. He's a senior now. No, he's 18. He's a freshman and he's doing this. So I think that's a great story. Um, so let's get into a little prediction time. I think this will be a decent game. I think it'll probably be a ga- like a one score game into the fourth quarter. But I think Wake might pull away a little bit at the end. Um I'm going to say 31-21 Wake Forest, uh, but I could easily see Syracuse making this a game and even winning it, but I'm still, I'm still going to pick Wake. But we cover again. I think you're pretty right on on that. I went 33-24 Wake. I think SU keeps it close for a little bit. Wake widens the gap, and then we get maybe a backdoor cover towards the end. Mm-hmm. I just think with SU's... Shaky quarterback play combined with the the general up and down aspect of the offense this season, maybe a little too much for the orange. I do think it'll be really cool to see how it shakes out as far as the turnover battle. We mentioned earlier, no picks for Hartman this year. He's been sacked a lot though. He has has been sacked a ton. Yep. I think SU is near the top, right. of, Of all sacks given up. And I think wake is like number five. So That'll be interesting because it's kind of been the, the opposite for us. We haven't gotten a ton of pressure on the QB now that we, we lost Kendall Coleman, now Alton Robinson. But the secondary has been great. So it'll be noteworthy to see whether we can pick off Hartman a couple times, uh, even once. But, yeah, I think along those same lines, I just think Wake is a little, little too strong for the Orange here, but I do think SU can make it a game. And then I, I want to leave my thoughts with this. Who's the better Clawson for college football, Dave or Jimmy? Jimmy was a good, decent college quarterback. Was he there the year they went to the, Notre Dame went to the national championship game and got their doors blown off by Alabama? Was that his year? Was he? I the don't quarterback? think so. No, that may have been Wimbush. I don't know. That Notre Dame team was so overrated the entire year. Like, a mediocre pit team almost beat them. I don't think they played anybody that great. Um, You're just a Notre Dame hater, but... I don't like Notre Dame. Jimmy Clausen was good enough in college football for Mel Cutford to stake his reputation on Jimmy Clausen. Yeah. Good NFL QB. And that, that didn't exactly work out, but... That clip that comes around by the draft is so wild. Like, what did he say? I'll retire if Jimmy Clausen's not an NFL quarterback. Yeah, and then McShay goes, how many years? I think he's like, give it eight years or something <laughs> and it's been eight years but yeah it's uh pretty funny just want to throw out throw that out there 
Oh, man. But the answer is Dave Clawson. <laughs> Keith, we also have some uh, basketball news. Uh, we have a scheduled opponent and a probable start date for the men's basketball team. Uh, it was announced that on November 27th, Syracuse will be hosting the Bryant Bulldogs at the Dome. This is most likely the opener, and it's the first meeting with Bryant. Uh, the Bulldogs were 15-17 and 17 last year, 7-11 in the NEC. They made their conference tournament as a 7C, but lost in the quarterfinals. They also lost their leading scorer from last year, so I don't really know how good they're going to be. Um, we'll talk about that in a couple of weeks when we actually dive into the basketball. I was sport. super nervous until you told me that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and an interesting fact about Bryant, they have two kids from Syracuse on their roster, uh, sophomore guard Charles Pride, who went to prep school in Connecticut, and then uh, sophomore forward Luke Sutherland, who went to West Jenny High School. Um, Keith made the joke about being nervous about Bryant before I, I said they lost a leading score. This is a team we should blow out just to kind of get our confidence up. Um, but it's nice to actually have, like, okay, this is a set date where we're actually playing our first game. At least for now, we'll get into that in about two seconds once I finish this. Um, the schedule as we stand right now is that opener against Bryant, a January game against Georgetown, which nobody knows what date it will be, but that's going to be at the Dome. A road Big Ten Challenge game, probably against Rutgers, because that's the closest. And then four more non-conference games, all at home, and 20 ACC games. So the reason I said that's the opener for now, there's always a chance, especially now, that the schedules are going to be conference-only based on the way things are going um, with scheduling. ESPN abandoned their plans for the bubbles in Orlando, but there was like headbutting between schools and conferences on um, testing policy. So if schools struggle to find some non-conference, Keith, what are the odds you think that the ACC in particular moves to conference-only scheduling? Well, you see it with football, right? Right now, for the most part, uh, different conferences doing different things. It's tougher, if anything, with basketball rather than easier because I know it's, you're dealing with less students, you do wonder, though, if SU plays a really small school non-conference that's almost like a gimme game, right? And, and God forbid a, a case breaks out or, or a cluster of coronavirus where you sit there and say, was it really worth it for SU to play this 3,005-ranked RPI team, um, you know, to, to have to miss a bunch of ACC games? and. Obviously, the health and safety comes first. That's priority number one. But when you look at it on a competition standpoint, I think those questions are fair, too. And I also want to point out that it's now been since March where the NCAA tournament was canceled. And it's funny how it's October 29th when we're recording this. We have tip-off set for November, and we don't have a schedule yet, and we don't know what the season is going to look like. There is a certain element of flexibility to it, but you would think that they would at least have a shell by now of what the plan is and then plan A, B, C, D, et cetera. But I do think there's a good chance we end up seeing an all ACC schedule by the time this thing rolls around. I think it would be better to do the ACC schedule only because just for a scheduling purpose, if we played it in the ACC twice, that's what are there? 16 teams in the ACC. That's almost 30 games basically. We could we could play regular season plus a conference tournament. 
I just think it'd be easier scheduling wise than trying to pick apart, like finding open dates. Like you're seeing with football, like Nebraska trying to find a game to this weekend um, after Wisconsin's coronavirus outbreak. Like, is there a world where Duke says, I'm not doing ACC only? They were too good for the tournament in South Dakota after it got <laughs> moved from the Bahamas. That, that begs the question is Duke too good? For an ACC only schedule, Coach K needs to beat down an army in November at Cameron just to get his team's <laughs> confidence up. Even though they're like, I don't. Half one, oh, never mind. Oh, <laughs> shots fired. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, I don't know if Duke does that just because I, I don't know. I, I don't. I don't. No, really, I'm just. I'm just kidding. I think they'll yeah. fully go along with it. I had to get a couple jabs in there though. All yeah, I don't. Fun. I don't know if anybody could complain about conference-only scheduling unless you're Seton Hall because they're apparently pissed that UConn got let back into the Big East, but that's neither here nor there. Um, so is UConn. <laughs> <laughs> that's what – I honestly thought UConn could be a non-conference team for us to play if this gets going, but I just don't see – I just don't know if we would be able to make the non-conference games work. I, I think if we were to have to get a non-conference game – now, the way things are going, we'd have to play like Buffalo or West Point or something like that. That's sure. It. A lot of it would be geographic. I agree. Uh, but yeah, this will be a conversation for the next, I think we tip off 30 days from t- 29 days. I tweeted it out 29 days away from as we're recording. So this will be a conversation for the next four weeks for sure. Um, we'll keep you updated with anything uh, that comes up. I'll tweet it. Follow us on Twitter at MarshallSTPod44. Um, Keith, did you see the tweet today I had where um, the NCAA said they were probably still leaning toward a bubbled NCAA tournament in March? And I said, all right, bubble up in Syracuse. We'll put that the blue, the blue tiles over the football field and we'll put like six courts going across like an AAU tournament. I feel like that would be awesome. We should do that. Just embrace the craziness. Yeah, I'm here for it. I'm totally here for it. The only possible objection I would have does five courts give TV Teddy enough room to make his blocker charge calls? <laughs> no. <laughs> Set up a, like a full replay table with like 20 TVs in the corner. <laughs> and then on the opposite side, TV Teddy would be, he'd call a charge, then sprint like a hundred yards <laughs> to the TV table and, and initiate the review. I know one of our favorite guys, Mark Titus, has made this joke before in the past, but it is pretty obvious when you watch the games. There's sometimes the guy will not even – he'll make the call. By the time his whistle stops blowing, he's already at the scores table (laughs) looking at the review. There's times when he won't even make the call. He'll be like full sprint to the scores table, then at half court blow the whistle with with his arm up. Like it's insane. It's hysterical. (laughs) But Yeah, not to derail us too much, but no, I thought that was pretty funny, but – I'm here for it. Open up the dome. Let's get this thing done. I love we need, it. We need like Bayheim on one court. Give give Iona the other <laughs> court with Patino, and then oh, Iona's then Bill Self. Yeah, I mean whoever. Let's let's get all the highest profile college basketball coaches in the dome, and just have have this thing just be an extravaganza. That's gonna be interesting to see how they do it um, with a bubble. Like I know for the NBA and the NHL, they only had like 20 teams. You're going to try and bubble up 68 teams. You're going to need like five different cities. It's going to be, it's going to be insanity. Hopefully we get that far, knock on wood. Um, I think we'll be able to get the season in, but as long as everybody does their part. Um, one last basketball thing. Um, 
Dior Johnson, who is the five-star lead in the 2022 recruiting class. He left his high school, um, Oak Hill, and I think he has an injury in his foot. Keith, is everything going on with the NBA and the possibility of getting rid of the one-and-done rule? What do you think the chances are of Dior coming to Syracuse? I think that's got to be like 50-50 right now, honestly. That's a good point. I'd lean it towards 60-40 that he does come. And this is all speculation based on what I've seen on Twitter and, and read online. It sounds like if Dior is playing college basketball anywhere, he's playing at Syracuse. I don't really have any worry about him saying, oh, I'm flipping to Kentucky or Duke or wherever. Because at the time he committed to SU, he could have gone anywhere even at that point. And he seems to be pretty strong in that commitment. What seems to be more of a threat is the NBA or G League path. And even if he does choose to go that direction, Syracuse fans shouldn't really hold that over his head. One, because he's a kid who wants to go make money and live his dream. Nothing wrong with that. But even on an SU angle, the guy has changed the image of the program. He's made it better suited for different recruits. I think he's helped get Benny Williams in here for 2021, and hopefully some of his buddies come along for 2022, which could be a, a really big class. So all that long-winded answer goes to show is I do think as of right now he still comes in 22. I know there was a chance of him reclassifying as well. It's seemed to have cooled down here. But if I had to put it right now, I'd say 60-40 that he still comes in 2022. And with that extra year of eligibility now, that can make for a really, really good team if he does come because you're talking a chance of having Dior, whoever else comes in 22. Buddy Bayheim is a fifth year. Joe Girard is a senior. That could be a really, really fun team to watch if everything pans out. So I'm hoping it does. Yeah, that's a big if, though. Um, and you mentioned that Syracuse fans really shouldn't hold it against him if he decides to go pro, which I agree with. I think he's, he's – you hit on that. He's a kid. He wants to go make money. Just nobody tweet at him, please. Don't don't be that guy. Don't tweet at recruits. Um, and in defense of this fan base, I will say it's usually like 95 who get it. And even if they're like, man, I wish he would have come develop his game. They're respectful about it. It's just those those loud yeah. minority opinions that that uh, you know are in the Twitter mentions. So, yeah, I agree with that. Um, so let's hope he comes. I hope he does. Um, let's move on to five star questions. We actually have a couple. Well, we really only have one. We just have a couple five star reviews. Um, one is on recruiting from Eric Magina. 467. Uh, very knowledgeable and informative podcast. Highly recommended. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, on an important side note, I believe much of Syracuse's success comes from the recruiting presence in New Jersey. As a Rutgers fan, it is disheartening to see their constant pillaging of New Jersey talent, specifically football. I want justice. Hashtag bring Tommy back. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I like that. I like that. And he is right. Uh, I wouldn't put a ton of success rated to it, but you look at our starting quarterback right now is, is right out of their backyard. Our highest recruit in the 2021 cycle, Deuce Chestnut, is uh, is right there in New Jersey, and, and Rutgers fans are wishing they had him right now. So, yeah, I think even going back to Paul Pasqualoni's era, you really saw them take a stranglehold on the whole Northeast, whether that's New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, parts of Pennsylvania where guys were maybe good enough to get a Penn State offer, but not enough to, to play right away and, and were developed at SU. So 
I would love to see that come back, and I think Dino has made a point to do that. It is a different landscape at the same time now with, with social media and um, just the way recruiting works in general, where it's a lot easier to get kids from. Look at Justin Lampson, our, our QB in the, the 21 class is all the way out in California. So I think recruiting has changed a bit, but I would love to see SU keep mining for gold there in that New Jersey area. Yeah, I agree. Uh, it's a it's a talent rich area, but I think that Greg Schiano coming back to Rutgers might kind kind of switch that because he, that's how he got Rutgers to be good in the first place. Um, I'm not saying they're going to totally boot us out of Rutgers, but I think he's a good enough recruiter where he'll say, "Hey, stay home. We'll play Michigan. We'll play Ohio State and Penn State every year. That kind of thing." Which Rutgers really should have been using from the start, but that's neither here nor that's neither here nor there. <laughs> Um, we have one more five-star question from APT57. What's the biggest position that Syracuse football needs to improve on? Um, to me, I, I think it's the offensive line, and that goes back to partially to that Nico Tamarian tweet with the quarterback health, but also even if you look at this year and last year, Tommy's running for his life more often than not, and he's not that kind of guy where I keep bringing it back to Eric Dungy, where if he gets pressured, he's going to run into the pocket and make something – and make something out of nothing with his legs, which he can do if he needs to, but that's not his game. That was more of Dungy's game, and he's not going to run a guy over. Um, so I think it's the offensive line, and I think it would also help with a running game, whereas so if Tommy now has time to throw, he can sit in the pocket, he can step up when he needs to, that opens up the running game for a guy like Sean Tucker or any of the two running backs we have coming back next year. Um, so I think the offensive line overall being better would help Syracuse football big time. I was going to say exactly that. You saw it even in 2018 with guys like Coda Martin and Cody Conway anchoring that O-line. Made a huge difference for the skill position guys, and I think hopefully we can get back to that. Enrique Cruz is a great O-line commit. Hopefully our current O-linemen are able to get bigger and stronger and, and grow into um, what's considered a, a big body for the ACC, not just a, a big body overall. And uh, – Aaron Service, I mean, could could potentially come back for another year. We'll see if he elects to do so. But a lot of moving pieces on the O-line, but I do agree. That's probably priority number one going forward. All right. Thank you to our five-star questions. We had those two. If you want to leave us a five-star question, give us a five-star review on iTunes. And with your review, just attach a question to it. We'll answer it next week. Um, as long as I see it. Hopefully I didn't miss any. Um, uh, next quick this week in Syracuse Sports. Not many... Not much else going on. Soccer games, the men's soccer team tied Virginia Tech in double overtime, and the women's soccer team lost 3-1 to Boston College. There's also a, a game cancellation with Pitt, which there was a bunch of weird stuff there we don't have to get into. Um, now to our last segment. This is Keith's favorite segment, uh, SyracuseFan.com comment of the week. Uh, Keith, you alluded to this earlier. What is your comment of the week? Yeah, so I saw some fans online who were frustrated with Dino's metaphors you know, about uh, cake batter and, and baking a cake or bridges or whatever he alluded to and uh, culminated with the comment, quote, does anyone know if we can get a bridge built from the sidelines to the huddle so that the coaching <laughs> staff can get the play calls in on time? Very good comment. I don't know who commented that. I don't have the, the user on hand. So shout out to you. Very good. Harsh but fair. That's amazing. Um, mine is – I kind of cheated mine's an entire thread. Um, 
there was a full thread discussion due to the fact that Tommy DeVito no longer has Syracuse football in his IG or Twitter bio, which the fact that grown adults are what a 20 year old has in his or 21 year old has in his social media bio is not a great look like he's 21 years old he's not going anywhere he's stop there's no need to have a full debate about that (laughs) well jake has been known to trash recruits on twitter and their mentions if they don't commit to su and they go elsewhere so (laughs) just let the record reflect that he's a hater on the twitter replies that is fake news. I have never once tweeted at a recruit, positive or negative. That is, no. that is false. And I already said I hate people that do that. And, yeah, we have this discussion. I don't mind it if it's positive. Like, if, you, if you're flooding their picture with some orange emojis in the, in the comments to drown out the guy who's commenting a bunch of Boston College ema, uh, eagle emojis, like, I'm totally cool with that. Show him some love. Make him an edit. Nothing wrong with that. But – yeah, when it comes to getting mad about decommits and yeah transfers and, and going elsewhere, I think that's when it gets like, all right, all right, buddy, chill out a little bit. That's fair. But just to me, like, I, I, I don't mind people who just, like, throw the gifts underneath the recruit. But to me, like, if you want to just kind of, like, I commit, decided to commit to Syracuse, if you want to throw congratulations, that kind of thing, I think that's fine. But just don't be the, that guy who's like, oh, I'm deciding to go to BC and then be that Syracuse fan who's just like, you made a mistake, you're never going to play there, they're terrible. <laughs> don't be that guy. He's the kid's 18 years yeah. old, making the biggest decision of his life. Leave him alone. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree for sure. But yeah, more to come on next week's Syracuse fan comment of the week. Uh, with that, Keith, do you have anything else Syracuse wise, life wise, other sports wise, anything interesting going on with you? I think that's pretty much about it. We, we covered it pretty well. Uh, we were debating pre-show. Due to being called the Marshall Street Podcast, does that mean we're obligated to have the Marshall Street Preacher on as a guest? I feel like that's a <laughs> short-term ratings hike, to say the least. We oh, will get man. a lot of listeners on there. But then the next week, it'll go way down. And I feel like it'll trash the listening listenership that we currently have. So still up for debate. Maybe once we platform, we can have him on as a guest. And uh, maybe we'll have him pick the lines for uh, SU games if he's a betting man. I feel like we get can't. There's no way that guy's a betting man. (laughs) There's zero chance he puts money down on anything. (laughs) Uh, I feel like we also get canceled if we had him on. (laughs) Guy's nuts. Honestly, rightfully so. (laughs) We would deserve it. Yeah. All right. On that note, before Keith says anything else that gets us canceled, um, <laughs> leave us a five-star review on iTunes, uh, five-star review with a question, five-star questions, and we'll answer it on the next week's show. We would really appreciate it if you do. Follow us on Twitter at MarshallSTPod44. Like, retweet whenever we post it so we can get it out to more people. Don't forget to subscribe. Follow us wherever you get your podcasts. And Keith, if you got nothing else, that's Keith who's dabbing, even though you can't see that. I'm Jake. Go Orange. Go orange.